0: You know, I like the Dummies books. I don't know if you've seen those, those yellow-colored, they look like bumblebees. They span virtually anything you can think of topic-wise. And I plan to actually launch my writing career by writing the book Pastoring for Dummies, but uh, I found out this week it's already been written. There it is, a copy of it. And while the series title could be provided... By the way, did you know that 200 of these books come out a year? What an empire. And while the series title could be provocative, Faith for Dummies, the goal is to simplify us and educate. And this sermon is intended to clear up and simplify one area. Are you ready? What is faith? James wrote to the early church to give them a better understanding of what biblical faith is. We're continuing this series called Faith That Lives. And James wrote this so that the early church and us, that we could uh, understand and mature as believers, as well as a redemptive community. You remember what that word maturity means? I keep reminding you what it is. It means to grow in the knowledge of of who God is, and to begin living out in ever-increasing quantity that knowledge and righteous living. This is what James is pressing and pressing and pressing toward. It's what we're doing to try to become a redemptive community. So instead of uh, giving some clinical, precise definition of faith, James gives us another picture. He gives us a look. What does faith look like in action? By the way, I'm a really good father of a two-year-old because that's around my level. I really like those pop-up books. How many of you like pop-up books? Come on. You kind of, you know, my son, Andrew looks through those books and he keeps running his fingers down the pages until he gets to one of those edges. Then he picks the flop or flops to pick whatever I'm trying to say. You know what I'm saying? He takes that that flap and he opens it up and then he, we begin reading and we begin looking at the pictures. This is how I described to you several weeks ago. We're going to approach James. Here's our, our next pop-up flap. What is Faith. What is biblical faith? What is real faith? We're going to tug it open this morning and we're going to see what James has drawn for us. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help. Lord, thank you. Father, that your word is eternal. It's powerful. And Lord, your word is enough. It's all we need to shape us into redemptive community. Any book ever written on any shelf of any store, as long as it does not point a person to Christ, has no eternal value. And Lord, your word from Genesis to Revelation points to the person of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that you'd give us faith. You'd give us an understanding of what faith looks like. And help us to be able to live this in our lives through righteous living. And in Jesus' name, amen. We're in James chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 19. Let me help you understand one more part before we jump right into it. You see, James is a pastor. James is the pastor of pastors. I love this guy. I can't wait to meet him. The guy loved his people. And you know what? There's certain pastors that when they preach, they want to climb inside the heart of the people li- that are listening to them. They want to be able to take God's truth and to be able to get it right in the heart. Because it's when it gets to the heart, and by faith it's received, that it brings transformation. This is what James does. Drives it right to the heart. And you know what? He's dealing with the same concern the pastors do today. And here's the concern. Do the ones, and let's just be real, do you who are sitting here this morning have real faith? See, pastors have no foolproof spiritual x-ray. We can't get a snapshot of your souls. And we're not in the business of being judges. But listen, the Word of God teaches that faith demonstrates itself. It's alive. And just as today the early church had attenders who came in and slid into their pews and slid out of their pews or seats or whatever they were sitting on at the end of that worship service and there was no real difference that their faith made in the way they lived. So James makes it for us this morning Crystal clear, what is real faith? Here we go. I hope you get your outlines out and take some notes. James chapter 2, let's read verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Here's the first way that James describes to us what real faith looks like. Here it is. Redemptive saving faith is profitable. Saving faith is profitable. You see the word good, where it says, what good is it, my brothers? Here's what it means in the Greek. It means to heap up and accumulate, to give an advantage or to profit. So when James is really saying, if we transliterate that well, he's really saying, what profit is it or what advantage is it to you, my brothers? If you claim to have faith, but you have no deeds, You see, biblical faith that demonstrates itself in deeds, it has value, friends. It's profitable. But faith that is not accompanied by deeds is worthless. It advantages no one. Now, the entire sermon, what I want you to try to do with the discipline that you're learning to have more and more, I hope, is to interact with what I'm saying. I want you to interact with what James is writing here. And I want you to always ask your question Am I demonstrating faith? Because James is going to show you what it looks like. You see, this is the lesson and the example that James is just about to give. Here it is in verses 15 and 16. Read it with me if you would. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And if any one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical deeds. What good is it? There's that word good again. What profit is it? What advantage is it? You see, faith that sees suffering. I interact. Faith that sees suffering and does nothing about it. Here's what James is saying with that word good. Listen, it has no value. Meaning it has no saving advantage either for yourself or for anyone else. Dead faith is valueless. To say to somebody who is in need, go, I wish you well. By the way, go, I wish you well was a common Jewish Id idiom for go in peace. It was commonly said, but it became akin to what we say today for the Jews, which means good luck. It became so devoid of covenantal blessing that it meant, well, good luck. I hope you get your needs met. And so, so without clothes, when James says without clothes, by way, that's just a hyperbole. It's an overstatement. It's not really somebody that's naked. James doesn't really have that in mind. What he's really saying is the need of this person is great. So if you see somebody with a great need. And you say to them, go, I wish you well. He's saying, James is saying, it has no value. It has no demonstration of faith. To say good luck when you hold the power to help somebody in need gives no advantage to that person in need. It profits them nothing. And it proves your faith empty and hollow. You know, a few years ago, I was on my way home after youth group is around 9 o'clock at night. I still remember this night like it happened just last week. It was a bitterly cold winter evening. And I went down past Lafayette College and I turned right onto Bushkill. And just as I was turning right is this man in an overstuffed coat with his thumb out looking for a ride. And I said a prayer for him as I drove by. I said, Lord, I hope somebody will pick him up. And while I'm driving, by this sense of personal responsibility and these fears that begin to come in, well, maybe he's dangerous. Uh, I really want to get home. I'm tired. I've been it's a Sunday. I've been a long day. My kids are already in bed. Denise called me. I want to get home. I want to kiss them goodnight. I hope somebody gets him a ride. But my heart began pounding. You know what this is like. My heart is just pounding in my chest. And all the while I'm hearing, go, I wish you well, but does nothing. Just echoing and reverberating in my mind. You know what I did in a half a mile? I turned back around, put the high beams on. I wanted to see if I saw the the barrel of a gun poking out anywhere. I drove by him. Then I came back around and I picked him up. And I opened the door and as soon as he came in the door, the smell of cigarettes and alcohol just washed over me. And I began to take him home, and on that ride home, I learned um, that he was a really pretty interesting individual. As soon as he knew, he asked me what I did. As soon as he knew I was a pastor, immediately he stopped cursing. And he began to tell me how God's helping him reduce his drinking, I quote, to one case a day. By the time I got home... I had been able to listen to his story and you know what? He was ready to hear the story of Jesus. I was able to talk him talk to him about why Jesus loves him, what Jesus has done for him. You know what? I were sitting outside his house, the one where he was staying at, it's not his home, for about fifteen minutes and he's letting me have captive audience. I wouldn't hit the unlock button. He's just sitting there and I'm telling him about Jesus and I can't remember his name. And I am sure he does not remember my name, but weekly or monthly probably, I remember this man that I took home when I go down Bushkill Street. And one day I hope I'm going to see him in heaven. Friends, listen, to see someone in need and to have the power to do something about it and to do nothing about it, James says, reveals your faith is dead. Come on, interact with this. Think about this for your life. How often do you see people in need? How often are people around you suffering? How often have you had that verbal struggle that I did that says, I know I should help. I know I could help, but I'm in a hurry. James goes on. He gives us another picture. You want to know what faith looks like? Number two, redemptively saving faith. Keeps good company. Look at James 2.17 with me. In the same way, faith by itself, listen, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Just as it is useless to wish the needy luck when we have the power to help, it is also useless to claim to have faith if it has no action. I love that word action. It means Works, it's a dynamic term. It means works that spring forth out of your faith. It means to have a faith that's just churning out good deeds and works. Faith, if it has no life, friends, listen, if it produces no action, James is just simply telling, I'm just, I'm just preaching from the text. I'm not even adding anything in hardly at all. But James says, faith, if it has no action, if it's not accompanied by this springing forth action, it's dead. See, faith is not a creed. You don't say the apostles' creed and it it confirms your faith so that you're sealed for all eternity. It's not a prayer you prayed when you're five. It's not an intellectual agreement to a doctrine. Faith is bigger. Thank God it's enormously bigger. It has substance. It's more than just simply believing a set of facts. Listen, make sure you understand nobody is saved. Now, I'm going to sound like a heretic, but I want you to understand what I'm saying. Nobody is saved by simply agreeing that Christ really did live and that Christ really did die on the cross and that God really did send him to take away your sins. Nobody is saved by simply agreeing with that. In fact, Charles Spurgeon once wrote that no man has a right to believe that Christ specially died for him. Until he has an evidence. That he has an evidence of it in casting himself upon Christ and trusting in Jesus and bringing forth suitable works to evidence the reality of his faith. You know what he's saying? He says, if you tell me that you're in faith, but there are no action, there are no deeds, there's no compassion for those who are are hurting and suffering. And if you see those who are hurting and you do nothing but within your power to help, James says there is no faith. But James is not giving us a formula that says faith plus deeds equals salvation. That's not biblical. That's not what James is saying. He's explaining that faith must produce deeds in order to prove that it is alive and that it has saving power. I talked to a friend this morning after the first service. He says, Pastor Tim, for 20 years, I've been in church. For 20 years, I've seen family and those around me getting saved. For 20 years, I've seen God do things. But these three ways that you've shown me that James teaches what faith looks like, I can't name one of them in my life. Workless faith saves no one. Faith without deeds is not alive. It is dead. The word dead means necros. It's a corpse. My brother and I were trimming branches this past week and we got to a tree in our front yard when we noticed. I was ready to saw this branch down and all of a sudden I noticed these monstrous bugs. They're huge like small birds. I think they're indigenous to our yard only. They're on this tree, and it's like they're marching to a cafeteria or some human to devour them. Here they are—one here, one three inches in front, another one three inches in front, and a really greedy bug about four feet ahead of them. They're just laying there underneath this tree branch. But guess what? After we jumped back in fright, we looked back forward closely. They were shells. None of them were alive. But let me tell you, they looked alive. They had wings folded back upon their carcasses. They looked everything a thing needs to look that's scary. But it was dead. Friends, listen, is this you? Let me ask you, is that you as a Christian? Are you alive with faith? If you're alive with faith, then your faith demonstrates itself in deeds. James emphasizes over and over, what we do reveals who we are. If our profession of faith in Jesus Christ is genuine, it will be evidenced in our action. Friends, if you're you're recoiling from this, if you're arguing with me on this, just listen to the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But listen, only He who what? What's it say? Does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I'm gonna read that again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, what he's saying is not everybody that goes to Awanas and gets their badges. Not everybody that sits in church every week, not everybody that picks their Bible up, not everybody that calls themselves Christians, not everybody that can raise their hands during worship will enter the kingdom of heaven. But listen, only, there's no equivocation here. It doesn't say, but many who, it's only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Friends, this is faith, faith that's alive, faith that's redemptive and it brings forth works. Somebody might say, Pastor Tim, are you saying we are saved by doing good works? Absolutely not. Listen, here's what Paul says, Ephesians 2, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Listen, not by works, so that no one can boast. But everybody knows those two verses, but I've encountered very few people who know the next verse, verse 10. We're not saved By faith, or rather by works, we're saved for works. Here's what he says. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Friends, that's what you're created to do. If you are in Christ, your faith has been given to you by God in order to seed a deposit in you, making you more and more like Christ, fully in the knowledge of him, so that you live it out in righteous, compassionate living. So what kind of works and deeds then demonstrate faith? Can I give you four this morning? First is repentance. Did you know that repentance is a work? You know, it's wrong to require repentance before a person puts his trust in Christ. There is no spiritual, there's no animating power that that leads a person to repent until the Spirit of God takes up residence in the heart of His people. There's no ability to repent, to truly repent until the Spirit of God lives in our hearts. But it is right For me to tell you and for you to tell one another that it is not possible to be in Christ and for Christ to be in you and to remain completely unrepentant and unchanged. If I have a believer, if if I have a person that comes to me and says, Pastor Tim, I put my faith in Christ 10 years ago and they are still mired willingly in sin, there is no evidence to to tell me that your faith is alive. Repentance is a work that God produces in us as we obediently turn from our sin toward holiness. A person who claims to have faith yet loves his sin, thinking little of it, continuing in it, unchanged, friends, his faith is dead. The second one is works of personal godliness. What are these works? We're answering this question, what are these works that James says must be evident? Here's the second one, works of personal godliness. You know, any person who claims to have faith, listen, yet lives in constant neglect of God's word and prayer, listen, has no evidence of biblical faith in them. I mean, how can you think that there is when the the king of when King David rather kept writing an entire chapter, the longest chapter in the Bible, every verse about his love for God's word. Faith is powerfully transformative. Having brought a person into Christ and he's given us a new nature with new brand new desires, brand new appetites, brand new motives which all find their satisfaction in Him. One who claims faith, now listen, but has no desire to know Christ, can't have an alive faith. If Christ lives in you, He's given you new desires, and those new desires all have their satisfaction in Him, then if you're in faith, you're going to want to know Christ. There's another one, works of obedience. When a person puts her faith in Jesus Christ, she accepts him as master. Would you listen to this? It is no biblical faith. It is no real faith. It is no live faith to trust God for salvation, but to refuse to submit to him in obedience. That is not an alive faith. First John 2.4 says, if you want to hear that clearly, here's what it says. The man who says, I know him. The man who says, my faith is alive. The man that says, Christ lives in me, but does not do what he commands is what? These aren't my words. I'm just the messenger. Is a liar. And the truth is not in him. True faith asks the master to show what must be done. What he would desire from her. See, Jesus Christ came to earth not to do his own will, but to do the the will of the Father in heaven. He demonstrated faith for us in obedience to his Father. See, living in neglect, living in neglect of the known duties that God has asked us to do. Listen, shows a faith that is dead. True faith is the faith of David who wrote, I delight in your commands. Not I begrudgingly obey them. I delight in your commands because I love them. There's a final work that ought to be springing forth from the faith that is in our hearts. It's this. It's works of love. Now, this is what James is he's giving us all these evidences. These three, and I'm giving you a a more of a robust understanding of what these works look like. Real faith produces redemptive love. He that loves Christ and entrusts his life to him has the love of Christ in him. Showing his steps, directing his steps, and guiding his words. I'm going to boil it down so simply. If a person loves Christ, he cannot help but love other people. To an ever-growing degree, it's a mature process, but it's to an ever-growing degree. If he loves Christ and Christ lives in him, then Christ is by the power of the Spirit of God moving us in greater and greater measures to love those around us. My hometown of DeRider, New York, there's a brand new, shiny, huge Verizon tower. Never did we think a town of 600 people and 2,000 cows would get any kind of a cell tower. Now we have two of them. But guess what? The Verizon Tower has not been hooked up yet. This thing looks fantastic. State-of-the-art, sitting up on a high hill, it's going to go for five or six miles. Or maybe more. But it's not hooked up. It has no power. It has no advantage if you have a Verizon phone. It does not profit Verizon people at all, but it looks great. You see, a claim to faith that does not move with compassion toward others, friends, James is saying it, it's a dead faith. But he's given us a third way to help understand what is this thing called faith? He's visually snapshotting it. Here's the third one. Redemptive saving faith surpasses belief. Would you read that with me? Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. See, James is presenting an imaginary argument with one who's objecting to what he is saying. You may be doing that this morning with me. You might be saying, Pastor Tim, I'm not sure I agree with this. I think you can have faith, but it doesn't mean you'd have to have deeds showing it. Well, James says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. And James says to respond to that person, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You see, faith without deeds is simply an intellectual argument that God exists. And it puts your faith on the same level. You're not going to like this. Look what it says in the next verse, as a demon. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God. Great, good, excellent. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Friends, I'm here to tell you that there is no demon that is a doubter of God. They believe and their belief causes them, James says, to shudder, which means literally bristle like a cat. Or when you walk down a dark alley and you get that fear trembling up your spine and it makes you shudder. That's what that Greek word means, shudder. But their belief is not in the quality of biblical and redemptive faith. James's point is that there is a belief, friends, listen, there's a belief and there are believers everywhere that do not have redemptive faith. Faith is a belief that involves the heart as well as the mind. We affirm that our God is one and we live out that knowledge with a heart that commits itself to obey him. It's what James is defining as maturity. Maturity. You see, because faith and deeds is indivisible. You cannot divide faith and deeds. A lot of people think, well, I've got to have the faith first, and then eventually I'll start living out the deeds. The Bible says, James says, faith without deeds is simply and utterly dead. So what is faith? We're going to look at it again next week. But what is faith? James hasn't tried to technically define it, but rather to illustrate what it looks like. He simply wrote as a pastor, concerned that believers conducted themselves in ways that harmonize with their confession of Christ. And so throughout the entire letter, James shows what faith looks like. Let me give you a snapshot really quickly. The one with biblical faith will find guidance in prayer. The one with biblical faith will act rather than simply hear. He will have compassion for the powerless. The one with biblical faith will control her tongue. She will adopt God's wisdom rather than the world's and she will turn from worldly motives. He will find patience in suffering, and the ones with biblical, redemptive, real faith will find relief in prayer. Let me tell you a story as we close. I want you to hear this carefully. Before John Wesley was a believer, he was a clergyman. Did you hear that? Before he was a believer, he was a pastor. He was a minister. And he was a missionary. And he worked with all he had. He memorized, John Wesley memorized, before he became a Christian, most of the Greek New Testament. He had a disciplined devotional life. And as a missionary to the American Indians, he would sleep on the dirt in order to increase his merit and hopefully be accepted by God. This is John Wesley one of the men that God has used to change this world. But then came the day when he trusted in Christ alone for his salvation. By faith, he came to Christ. It was then with his wings of faith and works in place, both beating at the same time that he began a works-filled, faith-filled life that would have warmed the heart of James. He preached in St. Mary's in Oxford. He preached In churches all around the known world, he preached in mines, he preached in the fields, and he preached in the streets. Friends, listen, Wesley preached 42,000 sermons in his lifetime. Can you imagine that? He traveled an average of 4,500 miles per year before planes, trains, and automobiles. He rode 60 to 70 miles a day and he preached three sermons a day on average. And when he was 83 years old, he wrote in his diary, listen to this, I am a wonder to myself because I never tire either with preaching, writing, or traveling. He preached even until the days he died. Friends, Wesley's faith was profitable to many. And it was accompanied by action and being seen in an abundance of deeds, and his faith surpassed a mere intellectual belief. It drove his entire life into obedience with God. Can I ask you a question? Can the same be said of you? Can the same be said of I, myself? Have you lived a life, friends, you in the sanctuary, you right there looking at me, have you lived a life where you have divided faith and deeds, where deeds are not as important as faith? Since you prayed your prayer of salvation, now you can live the way that you want. If you have, you do not understand the meaning of biblical faith because faith works. Faith profits others. Now listen to this. I'm going to sum it up. You ready? Everybody look at me. Faith profits others. Faith keeps good company with deeds. And real biblical faith surpasses mere intellectual belief. Would you open, would you close your eyes and bow your head this morning? i'm asking you to do that because i don't want any distractions for you i want you to interact with the, with the spirit of god right now is your faith alive did the message this morning reveal for you that there are none of those evidences in your faith As God talked to you this morning, and as He's shown you this morning, your faith is dead. Friends, listen, you cannot leave here, if that is so, without coming to Christ. Your eternal soul is at stake. I'm going to ask that with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, If there is anybody here that is realizing right now your faith is dead, it profits no one, that you would stand up right now. I want you to be bold and courageous. I know how hard that is. But I'm going to ask that you stand up right now with everybody's head bowed and your eyes closed. Would you stand up right now if that is you? Is anybody fighting with God right now? You know how it feels. As your pastor, I want to make sure that you're in faith, that your faith is alive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the first service, five people. Standing up to come to know Jesus Christ this morning. Lord, five people who have realized that their faith is dead. That their faith is not springing forth works. That the way that James described faith and what it looks like was not evident in their lives. Lord, for anybody in this service, Lord, that might be there and could not stand up, just could not do it. Lord, I pray that they would find someone to talk to, who can lead them to faith in Christ. Lord, let our faith be alive. Let us see people in need and let us do what's in our power to help. Whether that's in our families, our schools, our jobs, our neighborhoods, or our community, or even in our church. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand this morning? We have some newlyweds back. Hello, you two, everybody. Lorena, Steve, Querns. You got your hair cut. On your honeymoon? You're amazing. That's really fantastic. looks great. Uh, Bob and Emily, I want to close by praying for you and asking the Lord to bless you too, okay? And uh, we'll trust that it's going to be a great trip. Come back quickly and safely, get a lot done. So let's pray for that, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for Bob and Emily. Thank you for their ministry. Thank you, Lord, that they have given up their secular lives, Lord, to enter into full-time Christian service. And Lord, that you have supported them. You have blessed them at every step of the way. It's not been an easy journey. But Lord, you have proven yourself faithful over and over and over again. And for that, we say thank you. Lord, be with them now as they get ready to leave for Florida. Lord, thank you for their, uh, their heart, for... Uh, people, Lord, of all race, but especially what they're doing to uh, the people of God, the Jews. And Lord, I pray that you would prosper their ministry. And Lord, that you would give them a safe trip and help them come back so we can rejoice with them. Lord, bless their steps. May your favor shine upon them. Turn your smile to them, Lord, and let them live in that peace. In Jesus' name, amen. May you have a great week. Lord willing, we'll see you next Sunday.